Oh yes, yes, yes. Let's recognize. Uh, we have a bunch of people joining online. Yes. Uh, Susan Ed's family, the O's, and uh, Junior and Faith. Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, thank you, Joshua. Thank you. God answered our prayers, and, and uh, we're so excited to hear that testimony. And uh, that's the only prayer that any parent has for their, uh, for their uh, child who is growing into adulthood, is that they would meet the Lord, have, have that kind of a heart. So we're so thankful. That God met you, and we'll pray that He got, God will continue to meet you and meet all of us. Okay, I'm going to read a couple verses first. John 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, let's pray. Father, we gather as your children and we submit to you. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. You promised that you would send it to those who ask, those who are thirsty. We're asking right now for the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do his ministry and minister among us and glorify Jesus in our midst. pray that you would organize my thoughts. I surrender to you now. Give us hearts that are humbly listening to your voice. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Title for today, since it's Pentecost Sunday, is Why I Am a Conservative Charismatic. Some people uh, think I am growing in my charismatic leanings. <laughs> and I don't think that's a bad thing. That's a, that's a good thing from where, where I came from. Uh, the main reason I, I, I am a conservative charismatic is because that is how God has revealed Himself. The triune God has revealed Himself uh, through the Word of God. Uh, I think when you uh, hear the word conservative charismatic, there are two extremes. You have the conservatives on one side, who tend to be very Bible-based, but on, on some level maybe a bit rigid, a little dry. Um, good people, uh, but, but there's not any dependence or being led by the Spirit or anything supernatural. And then you have uh, the other side of the charismatics and people going on stage, having serpents bite them and say, look, I'm healed and I'm fine and uh, asking for money because I will pray for you. You send me $100, I'll pray. You send me more, I'll pray even harder. You'll be healed. Um, And so there's just a whole range uh, from the super conservative never talking about the Holy Spirit and, and the, the, the wild ride of the charismatics with people barking as, like a dog on the floor. So there's, there's a whole range there. And I think, I think we want to be somewhere in the middle where we believe in the conservative uh, um, biblical authority and the scripture, uh, but we also depend on the Holy Spirit. I think uh, many people in God's church, um, like for example, those who would not even know that today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, let's just start there. Uh, that it's, it's God and it's Jesus, but Holy Spirit is nowhere to be found. 
to me, that is not a triune understanding of God. It is two-thirds of an understanding, and I don't think that's where we want to be. Uh, it, it even speaks of that in Second Timothy 3, in the last days. Uh, there will pe- be people who have a form of godliness, but they'll be denying its power. Uh, some like to divide human history into three eras. You have the Old Testament, which is God the Father. You have uh, the, the New Testament, uh, the Gospels, uh, God the Son. And then you have the rest of the New Testament, all the way to the present, God the Spirit. Um, the problem with that, though, is that Jesus, if uh, you know, I preached this some time ago, Jesus was there in the Old Testament. He's just not so visible. He's not there all the time. But He's there in these moments. And uh, um, uh, He's there in the pillar of cloud. He's there in the fire. He's there in the manna. He's there uh, uh, meeting with uh, Abraham. Uh, so, so Jesus is there. And also the Holy Spirit is there. Uh, Holy Spirit was there for even someone like Saul. In moments he had a, a, um, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do the work of God and he was empowered to do it. Uh, but we also know he was tormented uh, by an evil spirit. And so people think, well, New Testament Holy Spirit is there always. I don't think that's true. Uh, he is there, he's available, but you can grieve him away. Same as in the Old Testament. He was there, you can have him, like Jeremiah had him. You can't prophesy without the Holy Spirit. You can't do the ministry that Jeremiah did without the Holy Spirit. So some, even in the Old Testament, had the Holy Spirit uh, uh, consistently. Others, like Saul, had it um, uh, infrequently, but he was there. Those who think it's three eras, and now it's the era of the Holy Spirit. I think the problem with that is they only talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, they rarely talk about Jesus. Jesus is assumed, but they rarely mention Jesus. The Father is there once in a while. But mainly they are talking at length and, and continuously about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus warns us of that in Matthew chapter 7. And he, he speaks of uh, people who speak about Jesus and say, I know Jesus, and they're doing supernatural ministry for Jesus. And in the end, Jesus says, I never knew you. So is it possible to confuse and, and not realize that God the Father is there in the Old Testament, God the Son is there in the Old Testament, God the Spirit is there in the Old Testament, God the Father is here in, in, the, in the current day, God the Son is here, God the Spirit is here, and we need to get the order right. Uh, Christians who glorify the Holy Spirit, I think they're missing it. And if you, and if you glorify the Holy Spirit, uh, you have a danger of, in the end, Jesus says, I never knew you. Uh, because we misunderstand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Who sends the Holy Spirit? That's my first question uh, that I was um, wrestling with this week. And did you know that this, this seems like a very simple uh, question and with a simple answer, but it's not so simple? Uh, so to the point that uh, in the Nicene Creed, they added a phrase that the Spirit comes from the Father and the Son. Previously, it was only believed, it was, the, the Spirit only came from the Father. And because of that addition, the East and the West split in God's church. It, that little addition. And so we want to we answer that question. John 14, uh, verse 25-26 that we read, uh, it says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And so who sends the Holy Spirit? According to John chapter 14, verse 26, it's the Father 
who sends the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And then you have Luke 24, verse 49. It says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And Jesus is the one speaking. Jesus says, I send the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. I send it to you. And then you have uh, John uh, 15, uh, so we have the, the two, John 15, verse 26. You have uh, Luke 24, verse 49. And so which one is it? Is it the Father who sends it? Is it Jesus who sends it? Actually, it's both. It is the promise of the Father that Jesus delivers uh, to us. And how does He deliver it? Um, um, this gets into how much of the Holy Spirit do we need? Uh, it depends on your faith. Depends on you. Like if you believe you only need a breath, chances are in your lifetime you're only going to get a breath of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if, if you think, no, I need to be baptized. I need to be drenched. I need to be immersed. If that is your theology, if that's your faith, and you ask for it, then you'll probably get much more than a person who says, I just need a breath. John chapter 1. John the Baptist, he makes it clear his baptism is a baptism of repentance in water. And so what does he do? He, he dunks people in a river. They come out dripping wet. And, and he says, uh, after me will come. And so now Jesus is the one who brings the, the promise of the Father. And how does he do it? He brings it through a baptism of repentance. And so how much of the Holy Spirit uh, are you going to get? It depends on you. Do you. Are you content with a breath, a little mist, a little dripping, a little, little sprinkling of the Spirit? Or do you want to be filled? Do you want to be immersed? Do you want to be drenched? Do you want to be enveloped? It's really up to you and what you believe. Luke chapter 11. It's so important, uh, asking for the Holy Spirit, that there's Jesus' words in Luke 11 verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to one who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread and from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And so, as believers, uh, we're supposed to be asked. Uh, We're supposed to ask the Father to send us. You promised Father to send us. And so now I'm asking, and who delivers the Holy Spirit? Jesus is the one who comes and baptizes you. Sometimes He breathes upon you. Uh, But this is is something we are are commanded to ask. This is something that should be a persistent prayer request. We ask for many things in prayer, but a persistent prayer request, especially on this Pentecost Sunday, we should remember, we should ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. What are the signs of the Holy Spirit? And how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? And this gets into the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John 20, before Pentecost... Uh, Jesus, uh, he already uh, had had met with uh, the apostles and other disciples for uh, forty days. He's about to ascend, uh, and he and he breathes upon uh, the eleven, and he says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." 
And, and some believers just take it from there and say, I, I, I asked, I got a breath, I have enough. It's like a security deposit and the Holy Spirit from that day forward is never on their lips. That prayer request to ask for more of the filling of the Holy Spirit is never uttered again because they had the breath at conversion and then it stops there. But in Acts chapter 1, uh, there is a mention of power. And it's, it's also mentioned in places like 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, when, and when Paul is saying, I don't, I don't preach imp- impressively, but when I preach, uh, may there be a demonstration of, sp- of the Spirit and of power. In Acts chapter 1, uh, we see the power. <clears throat> uh, first, uh, they're told to wait in Jerusalem in the upper room. Uh, and then it says, uh, you will receive power from on high. It's a promise of the Father. And it says you will be baptized. So it's not a mist. It's not a dripping. It is a drenching of the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So this is a, you know, if Jesus ascended on the 40th day, there's a 10 day waiting period on the 50th day, which is Pentecost. Uh, the Holy Spirit was, was poured out upon uh, the people. And it says in verse 8, he describes this pouring out as power coming from on high. And then you will get to uh, minister to the ends of the earth. And so before that, just, just think about what the apostles were. They were huddled in an upper room. They, were, they believed in Jesus. The breath of the Spirit was there, but they were afraid. There was no anointing. There was no, they could not, even if they wanted to, they could not do church. If they did church, maybe they would gather 100 or 200, but that's about it. That's, that they, there was a ceiling in what they had because there was no power. There was no enabling. Uh, and, and, and Jesus says, wait 10 more days. The power is going to come. And then the power came in, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And it, and it came through tongues of fire, a, tongue, a divided tongue as a fire which rested upon their heads. And then the Holy Spirit began uh, to give them utterance. And these were not random babblings, but these were actual languages. Uh, and, and we know it was languages because foreigners were around them and so these uh, Jewish uh, fishermen and, and, and others, uh, they, uh, they, they were speaking in foreign languages that could, they could not have known and these foreigners were coming uh, uh, because it was Pentecost and they could understand these languages. It was their native tongue. And so that was the miracle of the Pentecost. And then we see um, through, through the anointing and the power, Peter comes up to preach. And this is something he could not have done before this moment. But he, he preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit allowed him to, to, to connect dots from the Old Testament that maybe he didn't see before. But in an instant, he's not reading from a sermon, but the anointing came. He connects dots, connects dots through the anointing of the Spirit. He preaches and then 3,000 people are saved and the church was birthed. This is all supernatural. Not only the power to preach, uh, but it says, uh, then fear, in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it says, fear came upon every soul, not just the preaching, but many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And then many people theologically will say, yes, we understand that apostles did, did uh, wonders and signs, but, but we're no, there are no more apostles today. There's, that's why there's no more signs and wonders today. And so that's why the Holy Spirit's not mentioned. That's why we just have a two-thirds God uh, understanding of the Christian faith. And so they just look at that verse and they just cherry-pick and say, that's why there's no apostle, that's why there's no wonders and signs. 
But you have to take the whole counsel of God. It says in Mark chapter 16, Jesus is the one who preaches this. Uh, He says in verse 17, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so this, uh, this is Jesus speaking, and He says that this, these signs will come not only to apostles, but it's going to come to all who believe. And aren't we, who, aren't we believers? Aren't we those who believe? Don't we trust in Jesus? That means the same wonders and signs that the apostles did in the first century, we should believe that the same wonders and signs are available to believers. And it's just a matter of do we believe? Do we believe in healings? Do we believe in deliverance? Do we believe in supernatural things? It really is depending, dependent on our faith. Do we even ask for the Holy Spirit? Are we content with the little breath, the little mist, or do we want the complete drenching immersion, baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now we get into ministry of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And so the word for helper is paraclete. And so that's, that's more than a helper. It's an advocate. Uh, it's a comforter. It's a counselor. Uh, it's somebody who is uh, close beside, beside you and he gives you the right judgment call on the spot because he's there. He's with you. He sees it all. Uh, and, and this is a comforter, helper, counselor, consoler, intercessor, advocate. All of this is how we are as believers, uh, people who are led by the Spirit of Truth. The alternative to that is what Joshua mentioned. We, are, uh, we, we can be led by the Spirit, the paraclete, or we can be led by our flesh. And we have seen plenty of examples in our lifetime of Christians or so-called Christians uh, who are led by the flesh. And you see it through their mouth, you see it through their actions, their aroma, their demeanor, you see it through the soulishness, the temper, the angst, uh, everything that is contrary to the Spirit, because the Spirit brings life and peace, and there are people in God's church, even leaders in God's church, even pastors in God's church, who do not have life and peace, they have death, they have angst, they are, they are not the complete opposite of life and peace. And because they are led by the flesh, because they don't think the paraclete is present. They don't think that they should be led by, by this counselor. Because if you're a student and you're, and you're in high school and you don't know what you should be doing, you go to your guidance counselor and the guidance counselor talks to you and interviews you and starts guiding you. That is the paraclete. That is the one who, he's the guidance counselor. He guides you. He, he leads you into truth. So who receives, um, actually let me, let me continue, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John fourteen twenty six that we read, uh, the Holy Spirit is the helper, the paraclete, uh, and He teaches you all things. Um, 
there are people who are in the charismatic side, who are leaning in that direction, who believe that the paraclete is part of the triune God, who believe that the Holy Spirit is present with us and is in us and beside us. And these people, they seem to know things that others in God's church and in the world just completely are oblivious to and ignorant of. It's not because they're not smart. It's just completely because some have revelation from the paraclete. Uh, because the, he, his ministry is to teach you all things. Not just spiritual things, but all things. He teaches you things in current events. He teaches you things that are to come. He teaches you uh, what decision to make. And, and others, they just say, why are you praying about that? I just decide. I just live life. I, 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 I want to do this career, so I'm going to choose it. There's no going to a guidance counselor. There's no uh, uh, consulting with the paraclete and asking for guidance. Uh, they just make decisions in their flesh and they are confident and they turn out to be wrong in the end. But those who are led, there is a humility. There is a waiting. There is a talking and conversing uh, with, the, with, the, with the triune God and specifically the paraclete. And, and the paraclete will guide you. He will comfort you. He will, he will uh, lead you into all truth. Not just spiritual truth, but all truth. And then he says, uh, in uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Uh, The reason why I spend a lot of my um, time reading the Gospels, and specifically the red letters, um, uh, is because I want to sow a lot of seeds of Jesus' teaching. Because as I'm reading it, I don't understand it all. But I'm just, I'm just storing it away. And then at, at the right time, when I need it, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to teach you and to bring to remembrance what Jesus spoke. And so that comes when the Holy Spirit is there. And so when you, when you sow the, the seed and it's in your heart and you're just praying and you're just asking for revelation, in a moment... Uh, the Holy Spirit may give you uh, uh, right now. He may give you it a week from now. He may give you a year from now. You don't know. But it's, it, at the right time, the paracletes, one of his ministry is to bring to remembrance what Jesus said. And so if you don't know what Jesus said, then the Holy Spirit has nothing, has nothing to work with. So you need to sow in the teachings of Jesus uh, so that the paraclete can give that word to you when it's necessary. Uh, uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit also in John chapter 16 uh, verse 5 it says but now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me where are you going but because I have said these things to you sorrow has filled your heart nevertheless I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I depart I will send him to you Do you think the disciples who walked with Jesus in the flesh would believe Jesus when He said this, that it's better that I go, it's more advantageous that I go? Do you think they would honestly say it's better that Jesus, you're not here, and that this invisible Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ is with us? Do you you think they honestly would say, I agree with that? And even us today, do we say, would we we exchange our, our position and say, I'd rather be in the first century, I'd rather to be one of the eleven who physically saw Jesus and I would, I would want to be there because that is the, the pinnacle of Christian life. 
Jesus says it's actually better. We're actually in a much better situation uh, spiritually now that he's gone. Because now he's not a one man limited, limited to one group in one location. Now he is in the spirit. He's available to all believers everywhere simultaneously. And so it is far at more advantageous. Of course, this means there's a different training. If he's physically there, you just look at him, you just listen to him. It's obvious uh, because we do this with other teachers, other information. But when it comes to the spirit of truth, the spirit who brings to remembrance things that Jesus said, there's a different training. There's a waiting. There's a listening. Uh, there's a, a spiritual eyes and ears that need to open and a heart that needs to understand. It's a different training altogether. And, and for people who are fleshly, who are used to doing things a certain way as they did in the world, uh, they think they can apply that to the Christian faith and it just doesn't work. Verse 8, John 16, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you, Things to come. He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare to you all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, said that He will take of mine and declare it to you. And so the ministry of, of the Spirit is to convict the world concerning sin, specifically the sin of unbelief. It will become obvious in the end when Jesus returns or when we see, uh, 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 when we're before the judge. It will become so obvious that our chief sin in this life is we did not believe in Jesus. And He will convict all the world that you had plenty of chances to believe, but you in your stubborn unbelief chose not to believe. And I think this also can come to the believer. We repent of many sins. But the main sin that we should repent of is our unbelief. We really do not believe as much as we should believe. Because if we believed, the, the promise in, in Mark 16 is that signs and wonders would come. Why are they not here? It's because we do not believe as much as we should. He convicts us of righteousness. And the righteousness is connected to Jesus because He says, you won't see Him anymore. When Jesus was here, you saw righteousness in the flesh. Everything He did and He said and acted was righteousness. And now the Holy Spirit will convict us. Be like Jesus. Remember He's like this. Remember He spoke like this. He will bring us a, a, a revelation of righteousness in Jesus. And we are as, little, little, as Christians, we are little Christ's. And the Holy Spirit's ministry say, you need to be like Jesus in this area, in this area. He is righteous and you are unrighteous. Repent of this. Be righteous as Jesus is righteous. He is your model and your example. And then <clears throat> He will bring conviction regarding judgment. And who is judged? It's the ruler of this world. It's Satan. Hell was designed for Satan. Hell is not for any human. No human should ever go there. So don't think that God is cruel, that He sends people to heaven, I mean to hell. No, He wants everyone to repent and to go to heaven. He doesn't send anybody there. He is doing His absolute best to make sure that nobody ends up in hell. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. 
But why do people end up there? It's not God's will. It's not because He's angry. It's not because He's a judgmental God who loves sending people there. He, 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 people go there against the will of God because they are deceived by Satan who is destined for hell. He is the only one whose destiny is hell. Everybody else has a choice. And we are ones who bring a message of reconciliation. We are pleading for people, believe in Jesus. The presence of the Holy Spirit is also evident when there are gifts and when there are offices. 1 Corinthians 12 um, I don't know how the conservatives can say they're conservative and teach 1 Corinthians 12 and not realize that there are things on that list that they know nothing about because it is a word of knowledge, it is healing, it is, it is tongues, it is interpretation of tongues. These are more than preaching. That is a gift. That is an office. A pastor is an office. A teacher is an office. Ephesians chapter 4. An apostle is an office. A prophet is an office. How can you teach Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, without realizing that many things in the conservative reading and teaching of Scripture is outside the bounds of what is considered traditional conservatism. And I think that traditional conservatism is counterfeit. Because it's not true to God's Word. If you're true to God's Word, you will be a conservative charismatic because it's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12 is in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4 is in the Bible. Who receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And this is where I want to end. Who receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit? It's those who ask, of course. But who asks? Those who are thirsty. The representation of the Holy Spirit is living waters. And who asks the Father continuously for more of the living waters? It's those who are thirsty. Why don't we ask? Because we're not thirsty enough. We're content with a little mist, with a little dripping. We don't realize that there's so much more to receive. And that is a description of, of the Holy Spirit in the book of Jeremiah. He is described in Jeremiah 2.13 as the fountain of living waters. And then Jeremiah 2, uh, it says, Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God is the source, the fountain, and the Son, as we'll see in, in a bit, God the Father and the Son are the source of the living waters. The living waters itself is a representation, a metaphor of the Holy Spirit. And instead of require, uh, need, uh, re- realizing we need more of the living waters, we have come up with a broken cistern, a system, a theological doctrine which cannot hold the water. And it's, it's counterfeit conservatism uh, and, and it has no water in it. That's why it's brittle. That's why it's dried up. That's why it's rigid. That's why it's uh, nothing supernatural. Nothing. And there's no thirst because they think they have it all. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, can we really say that we have God the Father and God the Son if we don't have God the Spirit? John chapter 4, Jesus gives a different metaphor to a Samaritan woman. 
he says to her in John 4.13, Whoever drinks of this water, the well water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I, Jesus, give him, will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life, everlasting life. And then in verse 24, God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Only those who are thirsty. Um, and I think the Samaritan woman is, is a metaphor for the non-believer, the seeker. I think it's also a metaphor for the Christian in God's church. We should be thirsty. We should never feel like, I have enough of God. Uh, I have enough of God the Father. I have enough of God the Son. And especially we make the mistake and say, I have enough of the Holy Spirit. We have doctrines to back it up. I don't need tongues. I don't need gifts. I have everything. The breath came in John 20. Why do I need Acts chapter 2? I have enough. Only the thirsty. Uh, That is, I think, a good metaphor for those who are growing in their understanding of who God is. Not just the Spirit, but also God the Son, also God the Father. It It is a thirst to know more. And to have more. John chapter 7 verse 37. Jesus continued. He says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, but, but because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus has been glorified. The Spirit is available. And so who will ask for it? Only those who are thirsty. And it's an issue of belief. If you believe in Jesus, it comes like a river flowing out of you because you asked the Father for it. Jesus came to you. Jesus baptized you. And then now it overflows we are in the era where the Spirit has been given um, and is available. He was available in the Old Testament. He was available in Jesus' day. He's available now. And only if you ask the Father, only if Jesus comes to you and baptizes you, only if you're thirsty do you know there's more. And let me end with Revelations 21. Verse 6, And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Who gets the fountain of the water of life? It's only those who are thirsty. And that is for the bride. The true bride who is ready, who's repaired her, her, uh, his or her life. Uh, to get ready to meet Jesus, the bridegroom. And then finally in Revelations 22, verse 1. And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where is the source of this living water, of this river of water? It's pure. It's better than distilled water. Where does it come from? It comes from the throne of God, from the Father and the Son. It was promised by the Father. You ask for it. You believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Him more. And then what Jesus does for the thirsty, those who believe in Him, who are truly thirsty, who believe there's more, Jesus comes. He doesn't come just with the initial breath of salvation. 
He comes with a baptism. And He fills you and then it overflows out of you. And you can see it. The presence is there. The anointing is there. It's not just the tongues and not just the power, but there's life, there's peace, there's a, there's a countenance, there's a, the, uh, the teaching is, is anointed, the, uh, the, the prayers are anointed, the, the counsel is anointed, there's a wisdom from God. This is all flowing from those who are thirsty, who are anointed, who are given more, because you know there's more to be had. Okay, let's pray. Father, we repent because of our unbelief or our small belief or our counterfeit belief. We pray that there will be true belief in this place, in every heart. A belief that would manifest through through someone who has life and peace, who's not restless, who's not anxious, who's not chasing, who's content at peace because they have Jesus we pray for belief and more belief so that there be signs and wonders in this place whenever we gather on Wednesday on Sunday whenever two or three are gathered we pray there will be signs wonders healings deliverance a demonstration of the spirit and of power Father we also repent of our lack of thirst our lack of seeking of you of a false conservatism, a counterfeit faith that believes that we have enough. We have the Father, we have the Son, we have a little breath, it is enough. We're saved, it is enough. No, those who are truly saved, those who truly know the triune God, who know God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they have an ever-increasing thirst a persistence in prayer for the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's on their lips. They ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit does His work. He doesn't highlight Himself. And we we don't go as Spirit-filled ministers talking about the Holy Spirit. No, we, we glorify Jesus. Because the Spirit's ministry is a spotlight ministry. He glorifies Jesus. He brings to remembrance everything that Jesus taught us. And so on this day, we we ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Not so that we talk about the Holy Spirit or go on doing the Spirit-filled ministry, but Lord, so that we can know Jesus better, so that we can glorify Jesus, so that we can understand His teachings better and have more revelation and understanding. Father, we pray that you minister to us, not just God the Father, but also God the Son, God the Spirit. We pray you minister to us as we partake in the Lord's Supper, as we remember Christ's death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and Him coming back to His church to birth it by pouring out power through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to receive prayer, for healing, for deliverance, for gifting. Uh, If you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus, uh, just want a brother, sister to pray for you, to encourage you, please uh, feel free to come come forward and we'd love to pray with you. Let's pray.